is the song Toxic Train from the Atomic Mosquitoes. It appears on their album, Release the Mosquitoes. It appears on this episode of Monster Kid Radio. With permission of the band, I am Derek M. Cook, and I want to welcome you to episode 20 of Monster Kid Radio. This is the podcast where we celebrate the classic and sometimes not-so-classic genre cinema of yesteryear. Now, last month in July, it marked the 40th anniversary of the passing of one of the greats, Lon Chaney Jr. And as you heard in episode 19, we have joining us this week on Monster Kid Radio, one of the biggest fans of Lon Chaney Jr. that I know. He started a fanzine called Lonnie Jr. His name's Paul McComas. And today, he's an author. Earlier this year, he, along with his co-writer Greg Starrett, released the book Fit for a Frankenstein. It's available on Amazon and a few other places. You'll have to listen to part two of my interview with him to find out where else you can get it, maybe even get it signed. So also got a few other books out there, including a book called Planet of the Dates, which I just started reading. It's a lot of fun. I really enjoy it so far. You guys should check that out. Getting back to Fit for a Frankenstein, if you want to read some of that for yourself, head over to Paul's website at paulmccomas.com. That's P-A-U-L-M-C-C-O-M-A-S.com. There is actually a preview for the book under the authored section. Go to author, go to Fit for a Frankenstein, you can read a preview and check it out for yourself. Speaking of websites, check out our website at monsterkidradio.net, where you'll find links to everything that we talk about here on the show. Our voicemail line is 503-479-5MKR. What do you guys think of the movie Son of Dracula starring Lon Chaney Jr.? Call in and let us know if you agree with what Paul and I say when we talk about it in this episode. We're also going to talk about what is probably one of the earliest examples of, well, a goth girl in cinema, some of Lon Chaney Jr.'s other films, and we're even going to touch a little bit on Jack Pierce. I'm really excited to share part two of our chat with Paul McComas with you guys and gals, and we'll get to that right after this. Hammer Film Productions began in 1934, and after producing almost 200 films and television programs, the studio is still releasing and re-releasing new and classic film titles. 1951 Down Place is the podcast that brings you the story of the great Hammer films, one movie at a time. Here are your hosts describing what Hammer means to them. First is Casey. Hammer means the beautiful and glamorous women of Hammer Horror, the engaging storytelling and amazing period films. Joining him is Derek. Hammer means the incredible work of actors like Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and even Michael Ripper. The gothic storytelling, the incredible music, and the set pieces. And finally, here's Scott. Hammer? Wasn't that an 80s cop show on ABC with David Raish? This boy has a lot to learn. Join our hosts as they make their journey through the Hammer Films catalogue and discuss each film with critical opinion, historical facts, production notes and other information about these classic films. 1951 Downplace can be found in iTunes or their website www.1951downplace.com Wait, that was Sledgehammer. 1951 Downplace, the home of Hammer Films discussion. When we, when you and I first started corresponding, yeah. uh, we talked briefly about *Son of Dracula*, mm-hmm. and I want to, I, I just, I went back and rewatched it again. Yes. I yeah. love this movie, and I want to talk a little bit with you about it because I think you and I have the same thoughts about it. Criminally underrated, as I yeah. think. Yes, I think so. Sure. So Louise Albritton, uh, one of the great, uh, not just uh, female performances, but one of the great performances in the Universal horror cycle. Um, it's such a clever twist on the part of, uh, 
um, I think Kurt Siodmak wrote the screenplay for his brother Robert, and I think he was also dumped from the project at one point, and another was brought in. But this notion of the opportunistic goth girl, basically, <laughs> years before we had that term, you know, <laughs> of goth and goth girls and goth kids. Yeah, she it, really is. Would you say that she's playing a goth girl? Yeah, she's hanging out with the with the yep. transplanted voodoo witch in the swamp and uh, longing to be bitten by Dracula slash Alucard so that she can become the living dead, so that she can destroy him who made her that, and, and inst her lover, Frank, so that the two of them can become an undead couple, not just till death to us part, but far, far beyond. That's a brilliant premise. Al Britton is gorgeous and wonderful. Uh, as the goth girl would be vampire that you wouldn't <laughs> mind uh, infecting you. And <laughs> Evelyn Ankers is in there too, in a fairly minor role as, as the Al Breton character's sister, but she's always, uh, I don't want to dwell on the bad blood between Cheney and, right. and Ankers. It's been well documented and um, it's a shame. And, and it's strange because I thought that they had excellent on-screen chemistry. Like and eight different movies together, didn't they? They did a ton of films uh, together. But, and uh, so many films, including Weird Woman, which is which is right. a, a wonderful uh, kind of voodoo, voodoo or <laughs> I would call it faux voodoo, faux voodoo. Right. It's not real voodoo. I actually voodoo, just it's watched that one voodoo. last night. I was like, you know, I feel uh, like Lon Chaney, and I haven't watched this one in a while. So Weird Woman, man, it's a great film. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, legitimate voodoo. But <laughs> Blood of the Wolfman is actually much more authentic yeah, yeah. voodoo. And I Walked with a Zombie oh. is much more authentic voodoo. Yeah, that's my favorite voodoo film. But um, yes. <laughs> so now let's talk about Cheney. Yeah, okay. So we say criminally underrated. Other people point to this film and say criminally miscast. Um, and what they're getting at, of course, is that here's this oaky-born American actor playing a, a transplant from uh, Eastern Europe, a count playing royalty, um, all those things. And, uh, yeah, he doesn't work in that regard. But I really blame the script. The thing is not called Dracula Two; It's called Son of Dracula. And other than Daughter of Dracula, or Dracula's Daughter, um, it's the first Dracula film out of right. Universal since yeah. the Lugosi, right? We hadn't come to the Carradine ones yet. As a Lugosi, he is obviously, plausibly, a transplant from Eastern Europe. He's got that exoticism and that royal element. You know, so does Carradine in his way. He's got Dentorian, Shakespeare-trained uh, tones. He's a, an American actor who always sounded kind of British, and he's got that tall, lean, cadaverous look, and he can easily pull off European royalty. Cheney's never going to do that. So I don't know whether the C.O.D. Max knew that Cheney was going to play the, the uh, part when they were working on the scripting the film. Clearly, the thing to do here is not to give him all these lines about how your country, the United States, is, is fresh and clean, whereas mine is all dissipated and dried up. No. If he's son of Aquila, then to me, the obvious answer is that after Dracula arrived in the United States, one of his victims, hell, make him an oaky farmer, I don't care, <laughs> one of his victims became a de facto son, someone that he didn't kill, but bit and kept alive. And that's Shaney's character. That's Alucard. And then suddenly, 
he works really perfectly uh, the role. And even within the context of the misscripted uh, version, it's such a great script in so many ways, but they just, they missed this one crucial part. If you're going to cast Cheney, right. then don't make him a European transplant. Um, but I actually have a scene queued up here. Perhaps I should emphasize some of Catherine's wishes. When I came to Dark Oaks, I was not graciously welcomed. Now the position has changed. I am master. Anyone who enters here without my permission will be considered a trespasser. That gives a short nod and walks away. There is an authority to his performance. Uh, there is a, a silent strength. Um, the blazing anger at times. His physical presence is extremely effective as he towers over Frank Brewster and towers over, you know, Al Britton's character and towers over poor Frank. You know, the, the way when Frank shoots uh, right through him and ends up killing his own fiance, the way Cheney like raises yeah. an eyebrow like, what are you anyway? It, it's really well done. And I think he's acting pretty hard in this film. Not that you can see that effort, but we talk about Cheney as someone who was haunted and someone who, I think he had some insecurities because of the whole dad thing. And, and frankly, this was a man who battled alcoholism for pretty much all of his adult life to one extent or another. He was haunted, just as tell it was haunted. He had his own curse that he walked around with. But... You don't see the hauntedness in his Alucard, in his Son of Dracula. You see complete, dignified. Assurance. That's true. Yeah, there Just there is uh, a different kind of authority <laughs> here. I mean, I, I love Lugosi. I love Lugosi's performance as Dracula. Yeah. And and I think yeah. what Lon Chaney yeah. Jr. or Lon Chaney Creighton did in this film is completely different. It's from a different playbook. He is a much bigger guy physically, yep. and he's able to to use that to his benefit in yep. his performance in this film. I feel like this is the first time we've seen Dracula as a physical threat. He, he doesn't he pick somebody up by the throat? Oh yeah, he picks. Frank. Which Legosi I can't do. Throws him across the room with one hand. No, you can see Christopher Lee doing it. So this it becomes almost a transitional Dracula, you know, uh, between the Legosi. And, and I like Carradine as Dracula in, in, in those films, too. I, I'm really just talking about the two house films. I'm not talking about any, you know, Jesse James stuff. But um, Carradine is spooky, but he's not that physical threat that, right. that changes kind of a return to that. Carradine, he looks like you could <laughs> take him out with one well-placed punch, but... Cheney is Cheney is just this obstacle. And a wonderful scene. Another one is um, where Brewster and the and the vampire bird are talking, and and the mist comes through the the bottom of the doorway and formulates into Cheney. And he says, "You're very clever, aren't you, Doctor?" You know. I, again, he's just he's so sure of himself. And I don't think Lon Cheney Jr. was sure of himself. I think the poignancy that we see in Lenny and in Talbot. And in a lot of the other roles, Dan McCormick in the Man-Made Monster, and and uh, you know in the Black Sleep, even in Dracula versus Frankenstein, is is his last role. That poignancy, that 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 fear. I think that was a part of of who Lon was in his his real life, playing with the bottle, um, struggling to get out from his father's shadow, struggling with some bad reviews. You know. 
Um, and and uh, he's acting like crazy in some Son of Dracula, and he's successfully playing someone who has definitely. none of that at all. I really enjoy Son of Dracula. Definitely an underrated film. Yeah. I think people need to see it. It's easily well, you can get it on DVD pretty quickly. Yeah. It's part of the uh, Universal mm-hmm. Dracula multi-disc collection for one thing. Yeah. It's also one of the bleakest endings, I would say, in the Universal cycle. Along with, well, the Mummy films generally had pretty bleak. It was a great film. I I recommend people check out. And, you know, obviously, you know, The Wolfman, The Mummy. What are some other Cheney films that you think people need to see to kind of see the the range here? I mean, we've talked about a few already, but... Yeah, we've talked about High Noon. I mentioned Chief Pontiac. Um, Certainly, If Mice and Men is... Is uh, mm-hmm. it, it's a masterpiece, and and Cheney's performance is a, is an early masterpiece. Oh, I really like the Black Sleep a lot. You know, um, for one thing, it's got that cast. Who isn't in it? You know, it, it, it's got Lugosi in a small role that should have been developed better. But Basil Rathbone is wonderful. Cheney's in there. Tor Johnson, Akim Tamaroff is is wonderful and hilarious. Carradine is terrific in it, um, and it's a B programmer that was made on about three quarters <laughs> of a shoestring probably, but uh, it's, it's, it's moody and dark and the script is quite good. And Chaney plays uh, this character, Mungo, who you find out partway through the film was a doctor until uh, Dr. Cadman, the uh, Rathbone character, uh, did an experiment on this doctor, reducing him to Mungo. And uh, there is a fair amount of pathos there because Mungo is constantly chasing his, the doctor, doctor's own daughter, his own daughter. Something in him recognizes a connection with her, I think, but, but it is, it, he may be wanting to do her harm. And um, yeah, it's, I like the black sleep uh, a, a lot. In some ways, I think I relate to it as a, a maker of low budget and no budget movies. Um, it's, it's a classic example of how you can do uh, less if you've got a good script, a good cast, and you're shooting it nicely. The stuff down in the basement is just creepy as hell. You get down into the basement with Carradine as this guy who thinks the crusade is still happening, and it's this woman who has a shawl around her, and then she opens it up to show you what Oh, yeah, really yeah. Is. I mean, I haven't and seen it in a long time. Movie, right? I actually just got it on DVD again. Yeah. I was planning on watching it here soon, so... And Tamaroff, in, 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 in particular, is a lot of fun, but Cheney's is pretty effective. Um, you know, you start to see something. You see a decline in Cheney physically, but basically between um, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein and High Noon slash Black Sleep. Going from the 40s into the 50s, he looks very different. He gets thicker. He gets puffier. It's the drinking um, he's able to plausibly, like I said, play the mentor um, of, of Gary Cooper in High Noon, even though he's five years younger than Gary Cooper. You've got Coop saying things like, you know, I've looked up to you since I was a kid. <laughs> and, you know, their actual ages, it, it, it really gives you pause. Cheney was a good-looking guy in the, in, the, in the 30s and 40s. You look at some of those early glamour shots from, you know, Bird of Paradise. Or, uh, I mean, he was a good-looking Lenny. He was a good-looking Talbot. He was good-looking, got big, broad shoulders. And, and uh, then suddenly, in the 50s, it's almost like he's another man. He's, he's, he, he, he went from, from youthfulness and young middle age into his old age almost at the snap of a finger. Oh, um, yes. I like the Haunted yeah. Palace a lot, too. Uh, it's 
one of my favorite AIP Corman, uh, you know, I'd say Poe, but it's Lovecraft. really not Poe. It's got the Poe type. It's based on um, Lovecraft, the, the case of Charles Dexter Ward. Uh, and it's Price's film. Price has got the double role. Deborah Paget is terrific in it also. But Cheney, though he doesn't have a ton of screen time, he makes of it. And it's neat to see him and Price teamed up um, as partners in crime. Um, Cheney's quietly effective in that movie. In some ways, that role is uh, it harkens back to his son of Dracula because he's he's big. He's a force to be reckoned with. And he uses that same kind of commanding, hushed tone as Simon Orne in Haunted Palace that he did um, uh, as Alucard in Son of Dracula. Oh, yeah. Um, I, like, I like his Frankenstein monster in Ghost of Frankenstein, but I, but I don't love it. And the reason, again, that I don't love it is because I think he was sure. misdirected and that the eyelids were too big. <laughs> I, <laughs> I want to see those eyes, and I want a more yeah. Lenny to come through. I mean, there's obvious parallels, yep. uh, me- mentally challenged giant. So he wants such plaudits for Lenny. Let him bring a little Lenny into the monster. Like... Like Karloff was a loud monster sympathetic in all three of those, you know, but it, it felt to me like the director was, was just saying, don't worry about that lawn. Now, I don't know that for a fact, but I think that the director, and I think it was Earl Kenton probably, um, saying, yeah, just, just, you know, you're a big guy and you're scary and that's what we're going for here. Because um, we know Cheney can mm-hmm. bring the other. And I'm sure he could have brought it through the makeup. Yeah. Speaking of makeup, let's talk about the Wolfman for a second. Not Talbot, sure. not Talbot, but the Wolfman himself, the creature. He never looks like Cheney to me, and that's a credit to Pierce, right? Uh, yeah. When Cheney's in the Wolfman makeup, granted, it's a lot of makeup, but it's not a mask. And I always try to look for Cheney's features under there somewhere. And even the eyes don't look like Lon's. I don't think he's wearing contacts of any kind, but. It's a credit to both Pierce's makeup and to Cheney's performance that he is so not Talbot and so not Cheney in those moments. He's a freaking animal, you know? He's snarling and his eyes are darting around and his posture's different and he's walking up on the balls of his feet so that he leaves wolf prints with a great touch. Whoever came up with that, I'm guessing the director right. of The Wolfman, I don't know, but it's something they kept through the whole series. And so in each of those films, he's playing two roles, just as surely as, as Spencer Tracy in Jekyll and Hyde, as Frederick March in Jekyll and Hyde, as, as Vincent Price in The Haunted Palace. He's playing two roles that couldn't be more different. You know, as and, far and as performance as The Wolfman itself, the makeup definitely helps, but... We we talked a lot about Yolan know, Cheney living with his Beautiful. grandparents, you know, kind of, and his grandparents being deaf. And yeah. so Creighton, deaf. like his yeah. father, would have had to have learned how to mime and how to act with his body. And you see him bring that, especially right. to the Wolfman character. Right. I love that in your movie, yep. Blood of the Wolfman, at one point you are also walking on the balls of your feet. And, and every time I saw that, I was like, yes, he got it right. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. right. <laughs> He got it. He got it. Exactly. Yeah. No, I was like, there's no it. way I that's wouldn't it. get I it. I cheered every time I saw that. You, you don't see that every time. You. It's great. But thanks. So, but no, the make of Jack Pierce was a genius, was a right. master. Right. And for people like us, he's not an unsung hero, but, but the general public, I don't no, think you know, he gets the recognition. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. They don't know the name. They don't know the name. He was to creature makeup what Ray Harryhausen was to um, special effects during. Um, 
Well, slightly later. I mean, without Pierce, you don't have the Frankenstein monster. You don't have the mummy. You don't have yeah. the Wolfman, and and countless of other movies that he worked on. It's right. it's unfortunate that he did the props that I I feel right. he deserves. That we all feel he deserves. But that's shown true. a little more eye and goes to Frankenstein. <laughs> but mostly, I think again, it was it just um, either bad choice on Cheney's part, or I'm guessing um, right. direction. Uh, you know, he's going to play it like the director tells him to. And frankly, if he's playing it the way he did. It's right. the director's job yeah, to come I agree. in and say, "Where's Lenny? Bring me Lenny. Yeah, bring me a le- bring me a mute Lenny. That's what we need here." Yeah. That said, uh, I love the film, um, and uh, obviously it was the it was the reason that my friend Greg Start and I uh, co-wrote this novella, Fit for a Frankenstein, which takes place within the timeline of Ghost of Frankenstein. There was the uh, essay in the wonderful Midnight Marquee uh, Actors Series book on Lon Chaney Jr. The essay on Frankenstein was written by uh, Leonard Cole, who lives about two blocks from me. I just found this out, and so I'm going to be meeting him soon and giving him a copy of our book. But we took a quote from his book as our epigraph and as our as our starting point in our premise, where Cole basically points out that a few minutes into the movie, you see the uh, sulfur-caked monster walking uh, through the storm with Igor. We have a fade to black. And we fade back in, and we're many kilometers away in Viseria, away from the village of Frankenstein. We've arrived at Viseria. The monster's no longer caked in sulfur. And instead of the kind of black tunic and, and black pants he was wearing, he's wearing uh, his classic uh, uh, suit, uh, a brand-new suit to all appearances. And how the hell did that happen? So Greg and I wrote a novella to explain how that happened. <laughs> um, but you've read the book, so rather than me well, talking I was about, about to it, say that I know exactly how he got the suit because I've read the book. So, <laughs> uh, you know, it's a fun read. I didn't know what to expect <laughs> actually when I first got it because, and and I don't mean this to sound like I'm being critical, but it, it feels like when you first pick it up that it's going to be like a young adult yeah. kind of novel. But once you get into it, I, I don't. I feel like that kind of falls away and it becomes a novel for people who grew up watching these movies. You nailed the voice of Igor. Uh, every time I hear, I, I read, <laughs> I said it, I hear Igor speak. Every time I read Igor speak in the book, I'm hearing it with Lugosi's voice. <laughs> and, and it's so spot on. And, you know, it's a fun, it's, it, it's a fun, it's a comedic okay. book. It's a comedic novel. So it, it's not overly heavy, but it's, playing yeah. with these characters yeah. that we love so much, and I don't feel like you miscast anybody. I think you got everybody down. I think you got the world of the Universal Frankenstein films down, and it's a fun read, and I would recommend it to people. Well, thank you so much. Fit for a Frankenstein. In some ways, well, Igor was a great deal of fun to write, as we know that character and that voice so well, and so to make him say things that are just a little bit beyond what they would ever have made Lugosi say, but to do it with V's instead of W's uh, <laughs> was a lot of fun, and uh, it was published by your friend and mine, Steve Sullivan. Um, and his walkabout publishing company out of Wisconsin. And uh, Steve, uh, well, you know, Greg and I wrote it, but then Steve and I worked very hard on things, making sure that we were being consistent about how we translate things. <laughs> Igor Eves, I like it. Um, that, uh, <laughs> yeah, Igor Eves, <laughs> W's become V's, what becomes what, in addition, TH becomes Z, V's becomes Z's, they becomes they, and so forth. Um, and I think we got them all. It took us three or four go rounds, but I think we got them all. 
this consistent voice. It's a funny voice. And I also had great fun. I think Greg did too, writing the part of the tailor because we decided uh, to model the tailor on uh, <laughs> Niles Crane, Frazier's younger brother in the Frazier TV show. And imagine that David Hyde Pierce was playing the part uh, and, and, and doing basically his Niles routine. And, and the reason for that was who could be any more oh, different yeah. from Igor, you know, than Niles Crane. And so to put these two together in a, in a few scenes, it, it was just great fun. Igor does much better uh, dealing with Hauptschmidt, this, this fastidious tailor, than Klaus does dealing with Igor. Because Igor is Igor is Igor. He's, he, he's very comfortable in his own twisted skin. Whereas Klaus is, Klaus is, is, is you know, what, 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 what are you saying? You know, he just doesn't get it at all. And uh, <laughs> is constantly uh, amazed by just how grotesque and debased this creature before him happy. And then all of the monster shows up. <laughs> I'll, just leave, too, I'll leave it at that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. With events. Yes. <laughs> does he ever show up? <laughs> all of exactly. them. Exactly. Yes. Uh, <laughs> let's just leave it at <laughs> But thank you. I'm so glad you enjoyed it. And I guess Greg and I, without even consciously thinking this, I think we were writing for you and uh, and uh, my friend John Scott and all of all the other kids. Yeah, it's out a fun there. book. It's uh, easily. I got mine from Amazon. Uh, so it sells for like eight ninety nine. There, it's also available as an ebook. Right, it's a really cheap ebook, and you can get it at the website too. In which case, I'll I'll sign it and uh, paulmacamas.com. Definitely, one of people have a chance to to find what oh, you do online, uh, your books, your various projects. Are your movies available online anywhere? There is a collection called uh, the No Budget Theater Volume <laughs> One with the word "best" in quotation marks because it is, after all, no budget theater. And uh, it's got uh, episodes one through six, which includes Blood of the Wolfman. And it has a short called Shock Theater, in which you see me in, in the space of five minutes playing uh, Count Dracula, the Wolfman, the Frankenstein Monster, and the Mummy. Uh, and my friend Heather Mel uh, playing um, a horror hostess named Ivana Victim. And uh, <laughs> that won a couple of awards, too. Uh, we're just about out of copies of that, but if someone really wants it, they should contact the website. And if the demand is there, I'll, I'll have to go and crank out a bunch more. That's sold um, with all proceeds going to blood donation services, actually. A lot of fake blood was spilled and a little real blood, too, in the making of those movies. So um, as a 111-pint accounting donor, I... I decided that it would be only right. And check out your website yeah. again, paulmccomas.com, where everything about what you've got coming up is uh, a listing yeah, of all right. your books, a place to order directly from you if you aren't a, or don't want to order directly from Amazon. So Yeah, you get them signed if you order from me. And actually, I, I charge a little bit less than Amazon does too. Just ask people not to buy them used from Amazon. You know, uh, I don't get anything my wonderful publishers like Steve Sullivan don't get anything for those used copies that people buy uh, on Amazon. Uh, it's a way to save money, but uh, I'll tell you, I'm not sitting on top of a pile of, here, a pile of it here. Uh, we writers are struggling. There's this myth out there that once you're published, you know, you're you're making scads and scads of money. But the truth of it is that 99 plus percent of published authors, myself included. Uh, we're doing things to pay our bills. Um, the, the tiny little royalties are not paying our bills at all. So I teach and I do uh, public speaking 
and I do a series of other things to, to help pay the bills. So that's my sermonette um, about uh, try not to buy too many books used on Amazon. Uh, all this is helping is the person who is selling that particular copy. It's not helping the writer or the publisher. And often those, by the way, are review copies that went out there and Often the person didn't even re- review your damn book. They just put the copy and turn around. And, and might I add, if you do buy my books used on it, Launch Any Junior will come out of his grave and bites you. I've been talking to Paul since we've recorded this interview. And yeah, we're going to have him back on the show. We're going to talk about some more Lon Chaney Jr. movies. And I think at some point he and I are going to talk about the movie I Walked with a Zombie, which is one of his favorite voodoo films of all time, one of my favorite zombie movies of all time. That's going to be a fun discussion. So I'm going to have him back down the line. But if you want some Paul McComas beforehand, go to his website, paulmcomas.com, check out his book, buy his book, let him know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. Next week on Monster Kid Radio, I'm doing something a little different. A few weeks ago, Rolling Stone magazine listed on their website the top 20 best monster movies of all time. This list, while designed for general consumption by the normals, kind of got some of us monster kids and people on various message boards and Facebook pages a little upset about some of the movies that were included on the list, some of the movies that should have been represented, that sort of thing. So next week's episodes, episode 21, I'm going to take a look at the list and kind of give you my thoughts on it. That'll be on Tuesday. On Thursday, episode 22, I'm going to talk about a few movies that I believe should have made the list. Normally, we kind of restrict ourselves to classic monster movies here. However, this is a best monster movie list of all time type of list. So we can kind of get out of the 50s, 60s, kind of depend on the 70s, 80s, whatever. I want to hear what you guys think. Do you have a movie that should have been listed in this top 20 list? What do you consider some of the best monster movies of all time? Call in and let me know at 503-479-5MKR or email us at monsterkidradio gmail.com. If you haven't already done so, I'm going to ask you to like us over on Facebook. And if you want to get into some discussion between episodes about Monster Kid Radio topics, join the Facebook group. Next week, I'm going to start a new poll. Right now, there's a poll in there asking listeners, what other big monster movie mainstays do you want me to go through and create a top three movies list for? I did this back in episode number two when I talked about the patron saints of Monster Kid Radio, Boris Karloff, Bela Lugosi, and John Agar. I think I know who's going to come out on top, but I'm going to pull that poll down over the weekend. Join our group if you want to go ahead and vote on that and see what's coming up next. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution at non-commercial, no derivations, 3.0, unported license. That, of course, does not extend to the image that we used to create the episode image of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. We used the book cover from Fit for a Frankenstein. So you can see what the book cover looks like if you just look at your iPod right now or look at the listing in the iTunes store or our website at monsterkidradio.net. Of course, the song Toxic Train by the Atomic Mosquitoes from the album Release the Mosquitoes appears by permission of the band. Back to you next week. <laughs>